Now, Lord, we ask that you will speak. Doesn't do any good if it's just my voice, but man, when you speak, Lord, you do such powerful things. So we give this time to you. We ask that you would make our ears be open and our hearts and our souls be welcoming to whatever you want to say or do. No matter how challenging it is, convict where you need to convict, encourage where you need to encourage. God, according to your will, your way, your purposes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In a moment, we're going to look at Nicodemus again, um, continue what we started last week. But before we do that, um, I, want, I just want to, um, some perspective. So this experiencing God emphasis that we began uh, several weeks ago, so we're in the fourth week, is not simply a nice emphasis, but rather it's accepting deeper transformation and God working to get us more in step with him. This is not just a nice study. Um, this is truly about applying the word of God. It's to be in step with him. So those of you that, uh, you know, when you're every day, when you, when you open up your book and you do the day, lean into it. List, ask God to show you what he wants to show you. Because as we go through those seven realities, we see how God wants to work and, and transform us. So this is truly... This is not just a nice study. This is a transforming emphasis. Experiencing God is not, not about playing church. There are a lot of churches across the United States who every fall have some kind of special study. It's just kind of what church people do. And oftentimes it's, it, can, it can be just a nice informational kind of thing to deeper stuff. But I really believe that this is about fighting a spiritual war rather than just playing church. Whenever I hear the phrase playing church, I think of Sheila, and I wish she was here because I, I know I'm not going to get all the details right, but she has four siblings, two older, two younger. And from the time they were babies, they were carried to a worship service at the Door Street Church of God, Sunday school and, and Sunday morning worship, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer gathering, and, and pretty much any time the doors were open, the whole pack of them were there. And she tells about how when they would come home on Sunday afternoons and their parents would try to take a nap, they would go to the basement, and there were basement steps coming down, and they would play church. I didn't grow up, I, I mean, we, we went to Sunday school, but, but we didn't really... Never crossed my mind ever to play church. Now, when I get together with my cousins, we'd play school. Our favorite thing was to play war. <laughs> Shoot people. But they would line up. And so they would have, you know, somebody would, I guess they had a hymnal and they would have a hymnal and they would line them all up. Somebody would lead the singing. And I, I got to believe her oldest sister, who's the bossy one, was the preacher telling them what to do, and the rest of them would sing and do all the things. They were playing church. They were imitating what they had experienced when they, their parents took them to the Door Street Church of God. And I, and I, 
when I think about that, I think, how many times do we go through the motions of playing church? You know, this is why we call this headquarters, although there's a uh, grassroots movement to change (laughs) that from headquarters to mission control or something else. Because this this is the place where we gather to allow God to prepare us to be his soldiers when we leave. We're not, and so this emphasis especially is not about playing church. It's about doing spiritual battle. And then <clears throat> the last bit of perspective, experiencing God makes us targets. It makes us targets. Um, if, if we're following Christ, the enemy will do all that he can to try to counteract what God wants to do. What we are going to be looking at with reality, the third reality this week, is that God is inviting every one of us to join him in making a difference. And so the devil doesn't want anybody else to come to know God as Savior. He doesn't want people who are following God to grow in the relationship with God. And so the devil will do anything he can. If we're not a threat to him, he doesn't have to bother with it. He just needs to keep us neutralized. But when you start moving towards him, we become a target. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'd like you to open your Bible there. Anybody need a Bible? Need one up here? First Peter chapter 5. Verses 8 to 11. He says, be sober-minded. In other words, serious. Paying attention to what matters. Be watchful. Be on your guard. Be on the alert. Pay attention to what's happening. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So that we have an enemy. If you are following Christ, you are the enemy of, of, um, of the devil, of, the, of uh, Satan. And so he is, it says he's prowling around, trying to seek someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's the way. When we accept Christ as Savior... We sign up as soldiers as well as his family. And so the devil will do whatever he can to try to take us out. He says, and that's the way it is for all those around the world. He says, after, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. To him be to recognize, recognizing that he's in control, even when we're being faced with the enemy's wiles. I was, I was thinking about sharing this later, but I think it is appropriate now. One of the assignments that you had was 
to take a prayer walk and just talk with God. And, and it, that's just become a habit for me. And about a, 10 days or so ago, I was doing that and I was praying and, um, and I was kind of whining a little bit. I know you probably never do that, but saying, God, why does it have to be so painful? I just feel like, Lord, if you took away some of my physical struggles and some of this other stuff, I just feel like I would be so much more effective for you. And so I'm praying, and I always encourage you to surrender and listen and obey. And so, God, I'm not telling you what to do, but this is how I feel. But your will be done. And I sensed God respond with this. What if most of what the devil, I, I prevent most of what the devil wants to do to you? And then immediately, and again, I don't know if this was of the Lord or this was just my mind responding to it, 95%. So the question was, what if I'm actually preventing 95% of what the devil wants to do to you from getting to you? And I went, oh, that changes everything. And then in my conversation with the Lord, I sensed him saying, and the 5% or whatever, you know, whatever amount that I allow you to experience, it's out of my love and my purposes to accomplish what I want to do in you and through you. Amen. I'm not letting anything through just to harm you. Everything I will use as an ambush to the devil. And all I ask you to do is to persevere. Just take one step. Did you sense the power of that statement? That's not mine. Because it's backed up in Scripture. We, you know, we, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. He only allows into our lives that which is His purposes. He works all things together for good for His purposes. No temptation is taking you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. He prevents everything that he doesn't want. And the only way the devil has his way is if we give in. I don't know about you, but it humbled me to say, oh, okay, God, no more whining, only looking. So let's talk about experiencing God. The first reality that... We look, we've looked at is that God is always at work around us. Number two, we began to look at last week is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. And then number three that we begin to look at this week is that God invites us to become involved with them in his work. Last week, we looked at number two in the context of Nicodemus. And, and I want to dig deeper into number two, but also start on number three. So last week, we, we saw that mankind's default is to have distant relationships because of sin. Our, our default is distance. Our default is not intimacy. Our default with God is distance to try to control them by religion or, or rules and regulations, all those kinds of things, is to try to create a distance so that we're in control and it makes us feel comfortable. Our default with human relationships is also distance. It's not intimacy. We have to go against um, our protectiveness 
in order to be vulnerable enough to have deeper relationships. So our default is distance, and it comes in a lot of different forms. We also said that right-side-up living, right-side-up kingdom, is a continuing personal love relationship with God, but we have no point of reference for that. Not with God, not with people. And we also saw that Jesus' ultimatum is a love relationship or nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't give us the option of having, of us being on the throne, of us being in control. It's a sur surrender to his love relationship. So uh, in the context of community. So let's talk more. Turn your Bible to John chapter 3. And we'll look at uh, the same passage of scripture, beginning with verse 1. And I want to talk about um, how to accept a love relationship, an invitation to join God, requires some things to happen. So as you're turning there, and we studied Nicodemus last week, and we're, as we look at it again, I never fully appreciated this incident with Jesus and Nicodemus before. Because I always looked at it as kind of an anomaly. Because after this, Jesus goes and he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and and I can relate to that. And, and he meets a blind man that he heals, and, and just ordinary blue-collar person. And I can relate to that. And, and later on, it's the woman caught in adultery. I can relate to that. And, and, you know, just on and on. But this one is with someone who is wealthy, in a high position, seems to have it together. He's a religious leader. He's one of the top 70 in all of Israel around the world, all the Jewish people around the world. He's got power, and with that power comes wealth. He's, he's, I mean, he is just out there. And, and I thought, I never fully appreciated what this was all about. But what I've realized over the last week is that this is us. Nicodemus is us. Because we are familiar with Christianity. And we think we've got it figured out. And we... Um, need to have our, our, we need to have some shock therapy. And that's what Jesus does with Nicodemus. So the first point is that Jesus reorients us to live in a love relationship. Jesus has to rattle us in order to get our attention, to allow him to turn us right side up. Because when he comes to us, he's not looking to remake us or to remodel us. He's not looking to reform us into something better. He, he, he's not looking to do any of that. He's looking wholesale, 180 degrees transformation. But when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, I think what he had in mind is, I need to figure out this Jesus because... I need to add him to my life. I, I need to figure out what he's, how he's going to impact the Jewish nation. First bullet point. In order for Jesus to reorient us, he first has to disorient us. Amen. Look at what happens. So we're looking at John chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so we've seen one of the 70 most powerful people in all the around the world, in the Jewish nation. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, came from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do 
unless God is with him. And I think Nicodemus is sincere. I don't think he's blowing smoke, but he is being very politically correct. Because in his world, it's, you know, you compliment, you acknowledge, you thank, you know, you do all the right things so that you can have this religious conversation. And so he, you know, he, he says, you know, we've seen what you're doing and we, you know, we can't figure that out. So we know that somehow you must be from God. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus jumps in with both feet, not being politically correct, saying what appears to be the most devastating, um, shocking thing that he could ever say to a man as religious as Nicodemus. You have to be born. That has no place in the Old Testament. has no place in all the law and the prophets. He he just zeroes in on Nicodemus right from the start, cuts through all the the facades, all of the, the stuff that Nicodemus would have in his mind, and he drills right down saying, you got to turn your world upside down. It appears Nicodemus comes believing that Jesus is the fulfillment of Nicodemus' dreams, not God's dreams. He's coming at it from a a self-perspective, a self-focus, that Jesus will relieve the angst and confusion that he's feeling. Isn't that how we often come to God? Man, God, I'm upset. I don't know what to do. I, I just want you to relieve this that Jesus will explain some things to make sense of God's promises and what Jesus is doing. And maybe to give insight to how God will deliver them from the Roman conquerors. And so Nicodemus is coming with his dreams and his angst and saying, Jesus, I want you to take care of it. Instead, Jesus intentionally, watch this, this, creates more angst rather than less. So Nicodemus comes and Jesus flat out goes, oh, cut the crap. Cut right through it. You got to be born again. And Nicodemus, I I can only imagine, is reeling at that point. He shocks Nicodemus. By the statements he he makes, he takes the wind out of his sails. And by the way that he says them, Jesus intentionally makes him uncomfortable. Jesus, when he is doing a transforming work, will intentionally create more angst in us. I remember a couple of years ago when we were in the middle of all the craziness um, and everything was just out of whack. And I remember sitting down with a couple of of people in the congregation who were leaders and prayer partners and saying, there's just something going on inside of me and I can't figure it out. And And as we talked, I realized I was disoriented. All the stuff that was going on was just turning everything crazy. And there was just this disorientation. Things that I thought I knew I don't know anymore. Things that I thought God was about. It just seems like he's he's showing me different things. And and there was this disorientation. And I didn't like it. (laughs) Right? When, When God turns us upside down sideways, 
It's not comfortable. And that's where Nicodemus was. He's, he is upsetting everything about Nicodemus's life because he, when God wants to turn us right side up, he first has to disorient us from the old stuff. And that's where Nicodemus was. Jesus' point was to disorient so that he, out of his love, he could show him what was best. It's about seeing everything from God's perspective, starting with God instead of starting with ourselves. And Nicodemus was starting with himself. The next bullet point says that we have to endure and persevere through the disorientation. This, we have this natural bent. Human nature. It's just human nature to want to return um, to, to what is familiar. Right? So how many of you have uh, people who come to visit from time to time in your life, right? I mean, just an honor. So people come to visit from time to time, and, and, it, and you love seeing them, and you enjoy the time with them, but there comes a point where you're ready for them to go home, <laughs> right? It's great to see you come. It's great to see you go. Because they're upsetting the whole place, right? They're just creating havoc. And, and if there's kids with them, what a wreck. Good to see you come. Good to see you go. You could take the greatest vacation ever. But when you get back home, you walk in the door and you go, oh, it's nice to be back home. Why? Because we like that which is familiar. We like that which makes us feel comfortable. We like what is expected, and we don't like to be disoriented. If you've ever been on a ship and you lose the horizon and it creates nausea, nobody likes that, right? I mean, if, if you like it, there's something wrong with you. Because that's it. We cap, recapture the horizon. Try to get reoriented. That's our default. But when Jesus comes in, he wants to disorient us so that he can create a new point of familiarity, a new point of the, on the compass, a new um, equilibrium, a new a reorientation. And so we, instead of defaulting to something else or trying to make ourselves feel comfortable or medicate the you know, and, and try to grab on something, we need to look to Jesus. Amen. Jesus, what are you doing here? Lord, what are you doing here? That's why I talk all the time about seeing from where God sits. Seeing his perspective. Because sometimes he doesn't want to get us back to the old way. He wants to reorient us with a new way. Look at verse 4. We have to stay with the pain. Stay with the disorientation. Stay with the discomfort. Nicodemus responded. Remember, Nicodemus is us. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? I think that's the question I would have asked too, right? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't get it. I'm, I, you're disorienting me. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't help. Does it? He's not trying to explain. He doesn't reach over and pat him on the back and go, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You know. No, he just drives it in deeper. That which is born of flesh is flesh that was born of the Spirit of Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you must be born again. 
What do you mean not be marvel? What do you not be surprised by this? You got to be kidding me. Jesus seems so uncompassionate here. You know why? Because Nicodemus is so oriented to the religion that he's stuck. And Jesus has to get him unstuck. Nicodemus is us. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I think one of the, that, that's, that just has a lot of meat and a lot of meaning there. One part is you're not going to understand it all. Just like you can't see the wind, you'll never understand everything about God. And Nicodemus, you've given your entire life to understanding everything about God. And you think you understand everything about God. You're one of the 70 people who are supposed, think you're supposed to know everything about God. But Nicodemus, it's not possible. There's faith. So the conversation didn't go as expected. The next bullet point, Jesus reorients us then through truth and experiencing him. He disorients us. He gets us out of our equilibrium. He gets us uncomfortable. He takes everything away. It's, it's like in boot camp where they take everything. They take your clothes away. They cut your hair off. They take you know, your contact with the outside world. They, they take everything away in order to reorient you to a new way of living. And that's what Jesus does here. We want, look at me, we want to be comfortable. And I want you to hear me. Comfort is no longer an option when you're following Jesus. We have, when, when Jesus says something and it is no longer an option to say, Lord, I'm not comfortable with that. Because if he's saying it and it makes you uncomfortable, he wants you to be uncomfortable so that you can discover a whole new way of life and satisfaction. This is so hard for us and yet so essential. And so Jesus, in his love, disorients, almost being mean to Nicodemus, makes him even more uncomfortable. And then he gives him the option to reorient his entire being to who Jesus is. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? That's not a very nice thing to say. Certainly not politically correct if you, I mean, Nicodemus is part of the 70 that will eventually determine to arrest Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We, Nicodemus looks at him, what do you mean, we? It's just you, Jesus. What do you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And in that statement, Jesus says, claims to be the Son of God. You think that's going to make Nicodemus even more uncomfortable? I'm sitting across from the person who's claiming to be the Messiah. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And I can just imagine Jesus pointing to himself. 
And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, uh, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's a reference to the Old Testament story of Moses when he had to make a bronze serpent because the people had disobeyed, and, and out of their disobedience, they were dying, and they had to they had to look at the serpent. And so there's Jesus saying, "They'll people have to look to me to be saved," claiming to be the Messiah. And then, so he's giving him the truth, and now he's inviting him to experience Jesus. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Nicodemus, all of your life you have lived according to this Jew, these Jewish rules and regulations, earning the favor of God. And Jesus says, I'm here to tell you it's no longer about earning. Never really was, but that's how you rulers had created the system. It's about God loving. You have lived with this idea that God is up in heaven wanting to condemn people and only not condemning them if they do enough. And Jesus brings the truth in his presence saying, God is, God is a God of love. And his desire is for all people to come to him. He's love. He's not condemnation. He says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. That's, not, that's what you believe. That's the wrong belief that you have. Now, I want you to reorient yourself to this understanding that God is love. Disorienting to reorienting so that he can begin to live right side up with Jesus. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil. And Nicodemus, you're part of that darkness unless you accept me. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. And I think, and, and so when he, he's saying, this is the judgment, this is the evaluation, I am the light, Jesus said. And I think it's an invitation to Nicodemus to leave all of that behind reorient his life to the truth that Jesus speaks and the relationship Jesus offers. He's inviting him to join him in what he's doing. And I can't help but wonder if, because it was Jesus' habit to tell people, follow me. If in this conversation somewhere, because we only have a limited conversation, we don't have it all, we don't, we don't know, but if he wasn't even more blatant in saying, Nicodemus, just Come into the light and come with me. We must surrender, listen, and obey. Reorientation requires a radical turn to live a lifestyle. Surrender, listen, obey. Reorientation. Uh, when we're, when we're um, in the old way, it's all about us. Do what you can. And he says, no, it's turning right side up. Romans 12, 1 and 2 the scripture there. You can look that up later. 
The next bullet point, reorientation is required for us to accept the continuing love relationship with God. We are way more upside down than we realize. Way more upside down. And, and every week God points out something else. And he says, you're still upside down there. We're way more upside down. And one of the big ways is our attitude about God. Nicodemus thought that God was a condemning God. And Jesus comes and says, no, God is a loving God. God is all about a love relationship. Is God talking somewhere? <laughs> I don't want to interrupt him if he's... A continuing love relationship with God. I've had feedback from a number of people that resonates with my experience. That to even think of God through the lens of a loving father is almost impossible because of the fathers that we had. That doesn't negate who God is. But it sure makes it hard for us to embrace it. And what I encourage you to do is to lean into it. Listen, I, I, I'm saying this as speaking as someone who ha, has had and still at times struggles with that whole idea that God is loving. But he does. He's all about that continuing love relationship. And then, and then this whole idea that God pursues us in an ongoing, personal, real loving relationship can be even more disorienting. That he, is he a stalker? <laughs> I mean, that he, he's coming after us. He's pursuing that. And he doesn't give up on it. He just, he wants our relationship so bad that he'll do whatever it takes to peel away the old stuff. But it only comes by truth and experience a relationship with him. It also, reorientation is required for us to accept the invitation to join God in his work. Only as we recognize God as a loving Heavenly Father, all-powerful, loving Heavenly Father, will we believe that his invitation to join him in his work is out of his love and will be the satisfying relationship that we long for. Otherwise, it feels like when my dad was always demanding things of me and all and and I could never be good enough for him and he wanted me to come out there and work with him but every time I did it was I, I would do something wrong and there would be this barrage of verbal abuse and and that's the picture we often have of God okay I want you to work beside me but it's going to be a horrible experience no <laughs> right I want you to work with me because I love you and I care about you and I want to show my love for you. And, it, and it's, it's a throwback to Eden. When God created Adam and Eve and said, I'm creating you and I want you to be fruitful and multiply and take care of all of my creation. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an incredible experience because I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to be there with you. We're going to do it all together and you're going to find such great meaning in taking care of my creation. That's where God wants us to be. And, what, and what we, if we can stick our foot in, out in the water and, and try it, what we discover is when, we, when God is using us, 
It's one of the most incredible experiences, satisfying, pleasurable experiences of all. So Thursday, when we were here hosting those pastors, and I looked around that circle and I saw God working in their lives and encouraging them and strengthening them and making the lights come on. It's better than anything because it was God working through us. And that's what he invites us to experience. Very quickly, I just a part of this reorientation is Jesus inviting us to join him by putting our head in the yoke with him. I got, for the last months, I, this picture just keeps coming back to my over and over and over because I think it's an incredible picture of just being in step with Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, I put it there for you. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. That doesn't sound like my dad. That sounds like a new, different, heavenly father. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So as, a, as a, another picture, Jesus untethers us from the upside down stuff. He disorients us. So, so that's another way of saying it. He untethers us from the old stuff, the religion. For Nicodemus, it was religion and position and power and wealth and, and all the things that he had bought into. And he's got to unhitch him from all of that in order for Nicodemus to put his yoke or his head in Jesus' yoke. So we put our head in Jesus' yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. Just put your head in this contraption with me. And then when we do, Jesus leads us to let go of the old and to learn to be in step with him. To let go of the old stuff and to be in step with him. As I was walking this week, and I was just praying, and God brought this picture to mind again. And here's the Holy Spirit I just sense him saying, you know, the ox only is aware of the yoke when he pulls against it. Yeah, see what happens there when the Holy Spirit speaks? When we get used to being in step with Jesus, we don't even recognize that there's a yoke anymore because we're in step with Jesus. And we're, and we're just, whenever he tugs us, different, we don't even realize it's here until... We decide to try to go our own way. And then we recognize the yoke is there. So just put your head in there. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's been disoriented from the old, and he's been reoriented to Jesus, and he's transformed. He's a new creation. The old is past. And the new has come. Untethered from the old stuff so you can put your head in the yoke of Jesus. And when you're walking with him, with the purpose, so uh, uh, when a yoke, when uh, two oxen are in a yoke, it's for a purpose of doing something. Right? Pulling a cart, plowing a field, yanking up a stump. It, it's for the purpose of doing something. Maybe there are, maybe sometimes we don't appreciate this Christian life because we're not doing anything with Jesus. 
We're just trying to enjoy it like it's a vacation. But wow, the meaning and the joy that comes when we're in step with him. Nicodemus came looking for nice answers, but walked away with Jesus' insistence on radical reorientation of his thinking and his living. The encounter ends with no resolution. And we don't like that. You know, if you hear somebody playing the piano and they're playing a song and they don't play the last note, you know, because they don't resolve the song. Well, that's where we are here. We don't know. We don't know what Nicodemus says. We don't know what Nicodemus does. At this point, we, we know what happens later. But there's no resolution in this. I wonder if the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, intentionally left it that way. Amen. As an open-ended invitation to us. What are you going to do with it? We don't know what Nicodemus, and it really doesn't matter for us in our relationship with God what Nicodemus did. It matters what we do. Amen. So my challenge is, where are the places where God is trying to get at your, your life to disorient you? You'll fight it. It'll be uncomfortable. You'll want it to go away. You'll ask people to pray that it will get better. But if we back up and say, God, what are you seeing here? He may say, no, this is my plan. This is what I want for you. This is a part of the disorientation so you can be reoriented. Would you bow your heads? This week, pay attention to what is happening in your life, your relationships, the things around you. And then instead of just knee-jerk response, Go to God and say, God, what is it that you're seeing? And then listen for what he might say. He may bring a scripture to mind. He may give you an insight, like a couple of them that I shared. But until we see from where he sees, we can't respond in a way that will reorient us and keep our head in the yoke with him and experience the life that he wants us to experience. It's hard. What I'm talking about here is hard. But that's what Jesus invites you to. Because on the other side of hard is experiencing the satisfaction and the abundant life that he promises. But you don't get it without re being reoriented. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, you will keep us with our eyes, our ears, our souls, our hearts wide open, attentive to you, surrendering, listening, obeying, so that we recognize what you're doing and what you're saying and and then, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to lean in and obey. Because frankly, Lord, we don't have it. We can't do this in ourselves. But I pray that you would do whatever it takes for us to access your ability and your spirit and your strength. That we can experience, as Nicodemus did, Years later, 
the reality that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us as we spend time with you this week in the learning communities and in our times um, being the salt and light. God, just take charge and make us all that you want us to be. And we look forward to it, Lord, as hard as it might be, what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.